Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the uh, umpteenth edition of uh, the Rider Rumblings video podcast. Um, Murray McCormick is at his plush 17 square foot estate. Is it even <laughs> possible to have 17 square feet um, in East Regina? I'm admittedly still in bed. My wife is downstairs, uh, and she's ordered me to go upstairs and not bother her for the rest of the day. So I'm in bed, and Murray's leading a productive professional life. Um, and my glasses, I hope, are straight. Um, myriad mm-hmm. issues to discuss with regards to the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Free agency period opens Tuesday, February 9th. Uh, there's already some big news in that uh, Charleston Hughes has been released and subsequently signed by the Toronto Argonauts. And all will all this be for naught? Will there even be a season? There's a lot to, to, to chew on here. Uh, so, Murr? I'm just going to defer to you and listen to your answers to all this. <laughs> this is Murray McCormick with us, obviously. Murr, um, what are your thoughts off the top on Char- the Charleston Hughes situation? You had an opportunity to chat with him on uh, on Wednesday when the when the news came down that he'd been released by the Rough Riders after a, an impasse in negotiations. I've had more time to kind of chew on this, maybe, and I'm not surprised. I think it all came down to money and want. I think. Uh, Charleston wanted more money than the riders were willing to offer. Well, it wasn't. He, was, he wanted a pay cut. He wanted to do that. And I just don't think the riders really wanted him back. I, I kind of like the fact that they have this depth of A.C. Leonard, Freddie Bishop III, Chad Jeter, and a host of others behind him. That for the amount of money they've saved on uh, Charleston Hughes, they may be able to go open the books up and get a couple linebackers now, which is really a big spot. So maybe they can open the bank and get Cameron Judge here. I think it was probably a bigger need right now than maybe Charleston Hughes. Same token, I know what they're losing in Charleston Hughes. You don't take away one of the league's premier pass rushers and uh, not pay some sort of price, but I kind of feel I think O'Day might have the, the players in position to help fill that hole, but I, I don't think we're ever going to replace him, even though he was 37, Rob. I just, I'm not sure that they have this, the kind of, dominant pass rusher that they need. A.C. Leonard really played well at, at time, especially as the 2019 season progressed. He was dominant in the playoff game against Winnipeg. Um, but it helps to have Charleston Hughes on the other side. Right. Uh, do they have anyone who's who's um, poised to, to step into the position of, of primary pass rusher as opposed to uh, being a complement to Charleston Hughes? Somehow they've got to get that type of player. If they don't have Charleston Hughes, you better you better do something to address that. I remember after the 2001 season, the Riders had lost George White to the National Football League, and the questions were, oh, my goodness, how are they going to replace George White? He's tremendous. Well, Roy Shivers found Reggie Hunt, and when Roy, George White eventually did return, he was he was hardly even played. So they need... They need that kind of uh, kind of magic. They were able to survive losing Willie Jefferson to the to the Winnipeg mm-hmm. Blue Bombers, at least from the standpoint that uh, they were the league's co-leaders in sacks when there were last were games. But Willie Jefferson and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers ended up winning the West Division final at uh, Mosaic Stadium and the Great Cup. So they still had a ferocious pass rush even without Willie Jefferson. But uh, now they don't have Jefferson nor do they have Charleston Hughes, and I'm albeit a 37-year-old version, they, by hook or by crook, they, they got to find that type of player. They may have him already, but right now there's just, there's simply uncertainty. 
And I really don't think there's a lot in free agency. It's really going to be dominant guy up there at the defensive end. I know you asked me yesterday, who are the dominant defensive ends in free agency? And I really didn't have a list. Alex Bazzi's name I have looked at. I think there's more of a dominant player in the interior defensive line in Lamondo Sewell. You know, the Riders have, you know, Mac Henry and they have Shabil DeBuyer and, you know, two canes and might give an option. But you put in a guy like Lamondo Sewell, and he's a beast in the middle. He's a beast as a defensive tackle. I know the people feel the Micah Johnson uh, experiment in 2018 didn't work out, but you know, there had to be some reason why Kelsey Hughes was getting free so much, and I wonder if teams are double-teaming Micah Johnson more and kind of letting St. Charles and Hughes beat us, beat us on your own, and, and he showed him he could beat him. So I'm on to see what might be an interesting fit in the middle where you have, you know, the kind of players like Leonard and Jeter and uh, Bishop on the other side. A good point to make about Freddie Bishop, he had, was it 11 sacks in 15, Rob? I'm just yeah, Calgary. Again, on the defensive end side was Charleston Hughes. So that's kind of a, you know, you kind of see Charleston Hughes had a way of making the other end better, even though I, I don't know if he drew as much attention. But A.C. Leonard had the opportunity because their teams had to be aware of Charleston Hughes. So there's that mix. Chad Jeter, man, I think he, I, you know, it's kind of hard to remember a whole lot from 2019, but he had a pretty good, when he came here, he played pretty well. And he's also one of these guys, he stepped up, he's, uh, uh, Charleston Hughes mentioned he thinks Jeter could be a good young gun who can really step up there. So maybe the, the players are in-house and they're in-house, then you have the money to spend on Cameron Judge. Uh, and I'm talking middle linebacker. If they don't get Solomon Aluminium back, Aluminium, maybe they go for uh, Hinak Mwamba. You know, he's a little older, but he's had over the tackles the last few years. And there's a ratio issue he could address if they don't get Cameron Judge back. Right, and and do they have to get Cameron Judge back? I would say yes. I think they need Cameron Judge back. And, you know, some, he can play middle linebacker. You know, don't write that off. I think he's such a good weak side, but he could play middle. I think he played a little bit of the middle while there. And, uh, you know, he's a good – and Micah Tights is another guy who might be an option as a Canadian there. But I think they got to get Cameron Judge. I don't know, Rob, maybe – and, you know, it's not sexy – but I know I'm trying to get him wandering here, but they need a right guard. You know, they do have Braden Schramm. They do have Madeline Riley, who are two young prospects. But there's a Regina guy out there, Evan Johnson, who's with Red Blacks for three years, a first-round first pick when he came in the league. And he's played right guard. He's only 26. He's only been a left guard and stuff. But he could maybe be one of those guys who put in there, spend some money. And when Brenda Blatt eventually, Labatt eventually retires, maybe Evan Johnson could step in there. So, Two positions they could spend some money on, right guard and middle and linebacker. And they have that money now because uh, Carlson Hughes is gone. And that gives well, them for most of my goal. life, people have been suggesting that I spend money on right guard. So, <laughs> um, I mean, John Hodge on Three Down Nation reported earlier this week that the Riders are going great guns after Evan Johnson. And uh, with, with Dakota Shepley now in the National Football League, that would be a logical area to shore up. You're also looking at some age issues, in the, at least in the interior of the offensive line, yeah. with Brent Labatt turning 35 later this year and Dan Clark about to turn 32. So um, there's there's some issues there that could uh, could require some attention. Um, but don't forget about Braden Schramm. And no, Schramm, I think, dressed for 10 games. I don't know how many games he actually got into played. As I said, it's hard to remember 19. Can I show my age? But 19, 
You know, it seems like a whole other. Remember 1919, You can remember 1919, can't you? <laughs> it's true too. But even remember the Riders with Madeline and Riley in the first round last year in 2020 draft. So, you know, they, they must have high hopes. Jimmy's another Saskatchewan guy, maybe starting. So, so there's all the other names, all the American offensive linemen names that show up and stuff. Logan Furland has been with the Thunder for years, but. He's been coming on. So they, I think they can get away with death, but I just think of a player like Evan Johnson. And I, I agree with John Hodges. So when I had my previews, Evan Johnson's the guy that got, they should look, look at and look at Hardy. And be great signing. Saskatchewan boy, Virginia kid, wants to play here. We love, all these guys love to play here. So it'll be a, an interesting signing for sure. Uh, maybe for talking holes, have you uh, taken a long look at the punter and place kicker depth chart? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't think there'll be a, a huge problem getting John Ryan back. I spoke with Michael Ball the other day, and it sounds like he wants to play. And if he's going to play, he'll play here. Yeah. Um, he won't be an issue because he's affluent. Uh, I was wrong, by the way. Dan Clark turns 33 later this year, not 32. Uh, place kicker, uh-oh, better get Brett Lowther back. Or Yeah, unless you want to spend all the money on them. Uh... Now, the, the issue with Lowther is which version are you getting, though? Uh, are you getting the 2019, or pardon me, 2018 West Division All Star, who uh, who made 90% of his kicks, or are you getting the 2019 version that got one of the lowest percentages in the league? Albeit yes. uh, he was very good on 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 clutch kicks, but uh, his numbers were way down in 2019. Yeah, so, he had injuries, he had injuries, a hip injury. I seem to remember. Justin Medlock's out there, punter kicker. Probably one of the best in the league. Do you spend some money on him? Winnipeg, I think, will find a way to get him back. Winnipeg yeah. seems to get everybody they want to get. They do, but man, wouldn't that, that be, you know, you get Justin Midlock. Yeah. Honestly, I, I, uh, and Matthew Shinetti talked about it uh, the other day. Um, Matthew Shinetti with TSN. And it's something I've written about a few times. The honor system's in, in, in place here. And this is a competitive dog-eat-dog business, this being professional football. And teams are pretty much policing themselves with regards to what cap they imposed upon themselves. And the widespread speculation is that they're all spending at or close to the salary floor. But there's nothing to prevent them from spending another $600,000. So Go ahead. you can – honestly, if, if, if this gentleman's agreement – and I think there's already rumblings of discontent there. This gentleman's agreement could make one or two or three or four teams that are com vigilantly compliant look or feel very foolish if the final numbers come out and somebody spent, say, $5.2, $5.3 million and other teams are spending $4.7, $4.8. And if there's nothing to prevent them from doing it except uh, you know, the the economy, the, the economic issues we're facing. But if somebody's determined to spend $5.3 and a lot of these teams have rich owners, what's to stop them? The league can't penalize them. Yeah. And and uh, job security is based on wins and losses. I just, I just in in the absence of a, of a compelling reason to adhere to this, I just wonder if it's a sucker's game. I think, how about, I might be naive, but maybe the general managers heard what their bosses said and go, this is a pivotal year. You've got to spend to the floor. We've got to get through this season somehow. Don't go, don't go over the floor. And maybe they agree. Yes, this is, maybe they're smart enough to realize 
if we spend to the cap, we may not have a leap. We may not be able to go forward spending that much money. We know there's no great revenue coming in. There's revenues are down, 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 and teams have got to do what they could do to adapt if they want to have a season. And maybe these guys have decided, yeah, we want to have a season. We want to play football. We want to pay the players. We want to pay our coaches. We got to do what we got to do. And this gentleman's agreement might be the way to go. But I, I could be naive too, Rob. I'm not saying I'm they, in, in the 90s, they had a salary cap, and uh, and supposedly they had an alleged salary cap anyway, and some teams adhered to it, and other teams didn't, and there mm-hmm. was there was supposedly it was supposedly in place there. Al Ford, such a great man, tried to adhere to the cap, but then you'd have teams with private owners and extravagant spending that ended up going bankrupt anyway. They'd still find the money to to pay for quarterbacks that the Rough Riders couldn't afford, and then the Riders would end up subsidizing those, their salaries because uh, the teams would, would be in receivership and reliant upon the league to bail them out. So this model has been tried, albeit in a different way and without in the absence of a pandemic, but they've tried this gentleman's agreement thing, and ultimately it's a competitive business. It's dog-eat-dog, and job security is based on wins and losses, and at some point maybe there won't be flagrant excesses here but if somebody's let's say one team is spending 4.75 another team is spending 4.9 that might be the difference between a great cup and a first round playoff elimination and there's nothing to prevent anybody from doing that except the honor system and this is professional football uh i don't really sense that there's a there's going to be unanimity on this one that's good but you know i think one of the things that may be adjusting free agency other ways there's no big name quarterbacks that being Signed. Like, remember last year, all the names in last yeah. year, 2019. Now it's just that was just absurd. It was there was way too much money going out. And this is there's no quarterbacks out there like McLeod, Bethel, Thompson. Okay, well, yeah, and maybe Michael O'Connor, Canadian, but there's no quarterback driving the salaries. These are all just your other 11 guys on the field. Like some good receivers, and we're here. Quarterbacks are still getting their money, but. When you look at the money the quarterbacks are signing for, Rob, don't you the league's become more realistic in paying his quarterbacks now instead of the $700,000 that Riley got and Bo Levi got and Trev, Trevor Harris? It's more realistic money. to a degree. Um, you look at the Nick Arbuckle situation, and, and yeah. there's, there's somebody who's looked promising at times, but is, uh, you look at what Ottawa was initially prepared to pay him, and yeah. that was, I think, more than Cody Fajardo was going to get. So at times they're they're they they have been unrealistic and there's been a bit been a bit of a market correction or a lot of a market correction. Uh, I still think there's a there's a huge opportunity to to slash some salaries with head coaches and GMs. Yes. Um, you know they're I still I'm think sure they're one of the for the players. Uh, if there is that kind of money, um, I don't know to what extent the coaches and GMs have taken salary salary cuts, but. That's generally been a three hundred thousand dollar a year plus job in both cases. Uh, I think they'd probably still be able to make ends meet on two hundred grand. Um, if there's money, it should go to the players. Uh, what are what are president CEOs making? Nobody really knows. That should be public information, especially when dispensed by the three community owned teams. Um, it never will be. It's naive to think that there will be, but uh, I don't want to see the cutting of salaries on the backs of the players disproportionately. Everybody yeah. has to do their do their share, obviously, but in the case of Charleston Hughes, 
to hear him tell it. And Farhan Lelji of uh, the TSN first reported this, and Charleston Hughes pretty much agreed with it on CKRM Sports Cage on Wednesday. They're about $15,000 apart. Yeah. That's not a huge uh, gap there. And, and, and Charleston also mentioned something on CKRM about uh, how the Rotfriders weren't willing to meet in the middle, leading Derek Taylor to speculate, I think with some justification, that you're talking about $7,500 difference here. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the middle of the 15 grand. So you lose a player of that caliber for for that much money? Uh, maybe you're right. Maybe they just made him an offer he could refuse. You know, 15000 could be three bonuses played to three players overall. Three $5,000 bonuses to three other players that might sign. Because don't forget, they're still going into free agency. They still have some eyes on guys. You know, they, they look at the money they might have been spending on Hughes and went, well, you know, we have some guys in free agency who might be able to use this $5,000 or $15,000 signing bonus to get to come here, and we probably need them more than Hughes. So maybe it's kind of, you know, you and I, we're the last guys to talk about living on budgets. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I guess there, there's some ways, that sometimes the budget you have to count for money coming in and going out. I guess I've heard rumors like, of that. Don't that we just wives that's a marion and chrysula issue exactly yes so maybe maybe jeremy o'day is looking ahead saying i we can't do this right now we can't sign for that and how much he got he signed i think he was signed for two years with the Argos. i haven't seen how much he signed for it's interesting he was on a rod peterson podcast and his partner and his podcast business had an argos shirt on which i mentioned there whatsoever yeah that was fun but also, a little, little sideline, I think Charles Hughes is going to be a new uh, Twitter name. He can't yeah, so for Yeah, so he's going to have to find his. I know, maybe to look at this in a way, I you know Charleston Hughes loved the Riders. You know, he did, he was involved in the community. He did that football camp. Him and Mac Henry have a stonemason business and another side business, a lot of things going on. But he's from Michigan. His family's in Michigan. You know, what better team to sign for than the Argos when he's going to be if he can get across the border and back, which is a whole other issue, but in a normal way, you know, he's getting closer to his family. So maybe that works out for him, and that's good for him to do that. But uh, I don't think expensive. Derek Taylor pointed this out yesterday. It's a lot more expensive to live in Toronto than it is in, in Regina. Oh, the, the, sure. the money he gains in terms of the contract get neutralized by simply trying to live in Toronto? Yeah. But maybe you – know? Maybe the contract was so bad or so, you know, so out of it that you know, he couldn't accept it. And it came down to a, not, maybe not an impasse. He just said, no, I can't take this contract. And he walks away and the riders gain some salary cap space, maybe on that, unless a 37-year-old defense. It's kind of interesting. We're talking about a 37-year-old defensive end this, this strongly, though, Rob. And I know he's a different style of athlete. He hasn't been played. Until, until he was a senior in high school, he didn't play football, so he doesn't have all of those football legs. He's been away for, when's the last game now, 14 months, 15 months, Rob, I think? Yeah, well, November 17th. And he played with a badly, you know, basically a broken arm and a broken elbow. He's had that fixed, but he's 37. And I think people have to remember that that's 37. That's old. And I, regardless of how good a shape he's 35. Right? <laughs> He's an outlaw. Yeah, he led the league in sacks at 35. It's age. He's defying age. And how long? And you know, sometimes maybe you got to cut your Wally Brono used to be great at that, cutting his losses before the player deteriorated or something. Or did, you know, so maybe, maybe Jeremy O'Day jumped on that a little bit. I, 
you know, I have, it's kind of funny people talk about forming a GoFundMe page to keep him with the riders. I haven't heard much about that since he's, uh, I hope not. Yeah. Use GoFundMe to help a person or a family in need or a good cause as opposed to a football player who's still going to make six figures during a mm-hmm. pandemic. Honestly. I think it's got to be a tough situation for Jeremy and the players because most of them haven't received any money since November 17th other than their bonuses. And they, they have to be saying, we want some player served. bonus. And serve, yeah, which is a little bit. Or GWS, so that helps, but Imagine though working not having had a check, a real check since November seventeenth, two thousand and nineteen. That has to be hard on on them. And you know, Jeremy Day has to be cognizant of that. That these guys are they're loyal to him and they want money. They need money to live on. But I, and I'd be interesting to see when they all come back to find out what they did to make a living during the maybe twenty or twenty four months of the way the season's looking. What they did to keep going, other than training and stuff like that. When you look at the Riders as a whole, we've talked a lot about the defensive line, a little bit about the offensive line. Assessing them going into free agency, I mean, offense, there really isn't a lot to – I mean, they've got six quarterbacks. It might be a matter of reduction before uh, anything on offense. Um, Receiving core looks good. Um, uh, They may need a – you know, if William Powell at 33 doesn't have what he had at 31, there might be a – a need to make a change there, but you look at the defense, and that's the looming concern, at least for the for the front. Um, yeah. um, defensive back, no issues there. That's a really good defensive backfield. Linebackers, no linebackers there, uh, yeah. at least yeah. starters. And you alluded to it earlier. I wonder if Jeremy O'Day played his hand a little bit when he signed Charleston. Pardon me, when he signed Micah Johnson and opted to give that the big money to Micah Johnson as opposed to Willie Jefferson. Does that signal that an interior lineman is more of a priority than a, than a, than a defensive end? And that could be from the perspective, perspective of a former center who have to block defensive tackles all the time, so we'd have a pretty good idea of the, of the relative value or comparative value of a defensive tackle compared to a defensive end. And there are some good defensive tackles on the market, so maybe it's a redistribution of money on the defensive line as opposed to uh, just not addressing the line as a whole. Maybe they want more of a push up the middle. You know, as, as it stands, they've got Canadians up the middle and no, no more Zach Evans. So perhaps then again, they've also got some, they've signed a lot of big defense, defensive tackles uh, during the off season. So maybe that's their route as well. But did Jeremy O'Day play that hand a little bit with the Micah Johnson versus um, Willie Jefferson? situation yeah i think I, but it might be an indication of how he thinks i think more than overplaying his hand that you know you have a guy coming up the middle like michael johnson was you know he didn't he didn't have the statistical year last in 19 but boy i still think i think he was still effective i still remember you know drawing double teams more and more down that they he just couldn't get away from teams so maybe like i said Amanda Sewell, i can't remember it's how old he was a double team with calgary and he still Produced numerically a lot better yeah. than he did here, but he still—I still think he's had a bigger impact. I don't think they're going to double team like Micah Johnson as soon as he ends up in Saskatchewan. Yeah. He should have been accustomed to that. Yeah, and, he, and I think well, he still took those two guys away, and maybe that's all Charleston uses. So available, like, and I don't think Mac Henry and I think Shabell Max going to be thirty-four this year. Or yeah, yeah, thirty-four. And should the buyers, you know, one of those lower draft picks who's managed to when he played, he was pretty stellar. 
pretty good in the middle. So you get you had Seawall to that or some other one of these excuse me, a thousand names of guys on the defensive line on the roster. Maybe they find a guy in there and you you have a good rotation because you have to have three of them, eh? Just like you have to have three defensive ends. No one plays with just two defensive ends anymore. They all have a rotation. And that's when they, you know, remember back in the day, they kind of had Charleston on a pitch count back in the day a little bit. It's just because they were a little worried about him wearing down. So maybe you get a guy like Jeter who can go every every down and uh, back. I, 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 I really think they're in good shape going into free agencies. Brendan Tamman says, you go into free agency to either change your team or you can supplement your team. And I think the way they're looking at is a lot of these ones, other than linebackers and right guard and some special team players, they're looking guys supplement things to kind of boost things, maybe special teams and, and those kind of things, which isn't in a bad spot to go into free agency. Well, we're going to be the, I don't, I don't, I'm going to, I can't remember when quarterbacks were at the top of the list when you're talking about free agency. I can't remember one like that. I don't know, Rob, if you. 2019 is all about quarterbacks. I know. So and this year, it's not even a mention. It's not even like, you know, the riders, you know, they have six quarterbacks. They have, Fajardo, they have Harker, they have Franklin, so they they have three guys who can be on the spot, who can be whatever they want to have starter and two backups, and then you have Fine, and then uh, what's his other name? Sorry, Fine, Tom and Tom Flacco, three young guys you can bring up and maybe start developing and keep that sort of rotation. Where so I, I'm I think we got to give Jeremy credit for doing some some good things at quarterback to make sure they had the position covered and. You talked about his seasonal center. He was used to taking on defensive tackles. He's doing a good job on the receiving core. I don't think the Riders even have to look at another receiver. They're they're set at that position and just you know let them go in the Canadians. And uh, I've read that Braden Linius has lost thirty pounds. So he might be that wide side Canadian receiver they were they've been looking for. You know, there's Justin McInnes. You know, they, there's McInnes, who knows, there's a couple of Canadians. Yeah. Uh, Jake Hardy is back in the mix if he can stay healthy. There's Mitch Picton. Uh, so maybe they've got some options uh, Canadian-wise uh, in terms of receivers. Who's out there for linebackers, Mur? Well, Henock Mwamba is one I mentioned. It's actually quite an extensive list. It's a little older than you think. Can I look at my papers here? Sorry. No. You should no. have this committed to memory, including their birth dates and uh, social insurance numbers. I sure do. I'll be the man the defensive back. No, sorry. I, I, I came up with... If I was say if I'm the Riders GM and I got to pick a linebacker, I'm gonna play, I, I would go after Henock Mwamba. They don't be signed solely. I think that I've always been a Patrick Levels fan. I think he's a strong side linebacker. He may not be in the Derek Moncrief type dominating type position, but he can still play and he can play a bit of defensive back. So he kind of helps out. Uh, Mike Oz, another guy, Larry Dean can be solid in the middle if you want to go that American way, and Justin Tuggle. So there's. Yeah, Larry, Larry Dean would take care of that pretty quickly. Me? Sorry? Larry Dean would take care of that void pretty quickly. Yeah. So I think there's there's options out there among the linebackers. and you know, But they have, you know, they're Canadian. The Riders have some good ones. I think Micah Tights was a good guy. He came on strong. Came looked at he played pretty well. Uh, Sean Sean Odoa. Odoa? He's a long Odoa. He was a good one. He played pretty well last year. Maybe you got Jerry Johnson Jr. is another guy that can maybe step up there. So, you know, they, they have some in-house options, which I think is if I look through the, all of the free agents and all of, all of their rosters, just I think O'Day has kind of given himself options other than a place. What they do for a kicker? Pardon? Like who, who's out there? Justin Medlock. Begins and, and stops with him. 
I haven't seen another one. And he's handles punting and place kicking if you do it, but uh, and the bombers and the bombers don't seem to be handicapped by uh, salary cap issues, but which is what I have been harping on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, it's uh. Anyway, I've probably beaten that one into submission. They, need to be, they can look for a returner in free agency because they really, you know, they got Kyron Moore and Lucius Purifoy, but they don't have a real game breaker in there. But, you know, I, I've they, always been. They can be game breakers if you use them exclusively as that, but yeah, they're too valuable as every down guys. There's a there's a guy who plays for the Tiger Cats, and I've always been a fan of his, Frankie Williams. I think he's such a great shutdown cornerback, and he was a special teams player of the year as a returner. But Hamilton wisely resigned him. I thought he might be a guy they could go after, but I, you can get a returner of U.S. College or an NFL cut, you would think. You can think you can find returns, just like you can find old sports writers in the anywhere you want. You can find a returner. You can find a running back. Can you find a Canadian right guard? Well, that's a whole other thing. I just think you know. I think and we mentioned it earlier. They invested highly in Matlin Riley last year, seventh overall pick. They must have seen something good in him that maybe think that he can step up there in this year, maybe another year away, but so there's a depth, there's a little sort of depth there, that six-man offensive line. No Dakota Shepley, but good for Dakota to get that opportunity to go play down south. I think he uh, he's earned it, for sure. I take a drink here, but we're talking a long time. <laughs> now, a year ago at this time, we were talking a lot about free agency. Yeah, same guys. <laughs> uh, how do you see this evolving? Well, will all this be for naught again? Well, it's not. How about a half knot? <laughs> Halves and half knots. Because <laughs> I starting on time. But we, I'm, I know, and I'm not vaccination I rate. I don't profess to be a doctor, or a health officer, or anything. But if we don't have more vaccines underway by May, it's not going to happen in May. I really think we've got to get more vaccines, and people got to do more buying into wearing masks and uh, and washing your hands and buying it to find it. But even May, I think, is optimistic. And I'm kind of – I've read a lot of spots. They're talking Labor Day for a season. So, yeah, maybe. It just – it's surreal. It's almost not surreal. I keep thinking – it's like a make-believe. Make yeah, we're all writing our stories and talking about, yeah, there's going to be a 21 season. But in the back of my head, it's going, eh, there may not be a 21 season. So is this all, as you said, not or half knots? Maybe I kind of like the idea is, yeah, we we have to approach it like it's real, just like the teams are. But back of your mind, but where, where's this in your mind, Rob? I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. I just, I mean, when Randy Ambrosi last time he spoke to the media or the fans as a group without issuing a statement, um, I mean, the, the first one of the first things he said was talking about how the vaccine gave everybody some hope, but it sure it does. But the latest news on the vaccines does not provide much reassurance. Uh, the, the news about the variants, uh, yeah. the variants might get here a lot long before a lot of the uh, people are inoculated. It might just delay the whole process. It, uh, I'm, I'm really losing confidence. I just wonder if the, if the league is ultimately going to have to decide to go ahead and just bite the bullet financially. That might be the only option. Uh, That's what they were unprepared to do last fall or late last summer. They didn't get the federal government funding and ultimately decided that that would, uh, would, 
it would be not be feasible to proceed with the season. I think if you're CF, if you're CFL people, you've just got to go ahead and play. If you're out of the loop for two years, oh, man. Uh, I think the word obsolete, irrelevant, is another one that comes to mind. They've got to find a way to get something in this year. So the most optimism I can find is related to what I think would be the imperative from the standpoint of CFL uh, officials and, and team officials. You just got to play somehow, even if it's a six-game season and comparable in duration to what they were proposing as a, as a bare-bones uh, scenario last year. They've got to do that. I think anything resembling a normal season with training camp in May and preseason games and regular season games in June, I that's fantasy football. Do they have any bullets to bite on, though? You know, <laughs> yeah. what have they been doing to keep themselves going? Like we just read, the league offices laid off ten people, and they making cuts, and teams have made cuts, and you know they've done everything to get as bare. I think they've done everything to get as bare bones as they can, other than coaches and presidents and general managers' salaries, which have taken a bit of hit. I was going to mention Scott Milanovic got six hundred grand to coach the Eskimos. Really? Isn't that I've seen like exorbitant for well, that's, that's the way the CFL was going though. I mean they were they were they were beyond you know, they were they were in a precarious financial situation before the before yeah. the pandemic hit. And Miranda Ambrosi said last spring that the teams as a collective lose between ten and million ten and twenty million dollars per year. Yeah. And that was before the pandemic. And that's because of spending like that. And uh, they spending, you know, on you know, several hundred thousand dollars on unproven quarterbacks, um, spending on you know, president CEOs. Um, they they have to get their finances in order first. But I wonder if there's a if the if the, the federal government wasn't the answer that last time is the are the provincial governments an answer? If you look at where the community owned teams are based, um, Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, and uh, Alberta, maybe. Those are areas where the CFL is is a big enough deal that maybe the Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and Alberta governments could be uh, coerced into handing over some money. The Saskatchewan government's already done it for junior hockey. Um, and then if you look at the privately owned teams, those teams are probably privately owned because they've got rich owners. So if the provincial, if the publicly owned or community owned teams can get some government money, having the community owned card to play, and if the privately owned teams or presumably owned by people who have the wherewithal to take a bit of a hit. Maybe that's how you do it. Just get yourself through a year. Get get government money where you can get it provincially and, and bite the bullet as privately owned teams and just get through it and hopefully live to fight another day or another season in 2022. Mm -hmm. If you look at it from this perspective of the provincial government in Saskatchewan, why wouldn't they accede to the wishes of, of uh, the Rough Riders? They traditionally have in the past, regardless <laughs> of the political affiliation. And they've got a lot invested in that stadium. If that stadium is empty, it takes longer for the for um, for it to be paid off. So you've got to, granted, there wouldn't be gate receipts this year, but if you don't sustain the Rough Riders through this season, is there a next season or a season after that to even consider? And then who's paying the hundred million dollars that's or nearly hundred million dollars that's left to pay on the stadium primarily through through facility fees? The taxpayers get stuck with that. So in light of that as an alternative, I would think a provincial government bailout of the Rough Riders would be uh, would be automatic. 
maybe maybe they can a comparable case can be made in Winnipeg and in Alberta. But there's also no. other you know we're talking about junior hockey, the Saskatchewan government. There's also other organizations and associations that are struggling with money too right now. And how can they justify saving the CFL when these other ones? These other now with junior hockey, hmm? and including privately owned, you know, the they've given most of the junior hockey teams that received provincial money. Well, it was the SGHL as a whole that received a disbursement from the province, and then each of the WHL teams received money individually. Each of the Saskatchewan WHL teams, two of them are privately owned, and each and the the Pats owners are all loaded. For them, mm-hmm. so they've given money to privately owned uh, enterprises. I think the precedent's been set with that, with that uh, contribution to junior hockey. How do you say no to the riders? They've never said no to the riders before. They've never said no. You know, so. But one thing about the riders and looking at the CFL in 2021, you and I go to games and the fans aren't young anymore. You know, there's a, some, but there's an Except aging group. <laughs> Gray hairs are in, as you can say. So, you know, they're, I mean, who's the most susceptible to coronavirus right now are the older people and the older generations. And how comfortable are they going to feel going to games when they're doing everything they can to make sure they stay healthy, to see their grandkids grow up, see their kids grow up? And do they want to, do they, do they desperately want to go to a game and watch it? That's a big question in my mind. If people want to go and take a chance on, uh, on things like that. But Rob, I think, and this is by no means least and no means last, but uh, I would just like to say on behalf of all the reporters and stuff, all the outpouring of support was off of Warren Woods. Uh, you and I were good friends with Warren. We've been with him for so, so long. It was so sad to see him die of coronavirus. I, I think, was he ever on Rider Rumblings? Do you ever think? Yes, we did have Woodsy on Rider Rumblings. And, you know, and I think what you got with Woodsy is what you got, man. He was just as genuine and funny and warm and entertaining and everything. I don't know if I've ever saw him not smile except other on the golf course and he would miss half a dozen shots on the hole. But I know it's not right. It is riders and stuff, but I really think that, uh, you know, I want to say something more. He was such a great friend and uh, I miss him. I'm going to miss him a lot. And uh, the press box, when we get into a press box again, it just won't be the same without hearing words. He's crackle cackle from the back of the press box or one of his tweets that doesn't make any sense, but kind of woodsy or, Hearing him complain about the trains, but uh, Saskatchewan lost a great one in uh, Warren Woods recently, and uh, this is our first Ryder Rumbling since then. I just think maybe it's not last, but not least, but he will always be remembered. Well, the Rough Riders played the first day that uh, STV Regina, which is now global, went on the air, September 6th of, uh, to- of 1987. And the Riders played Winnipeg that day, of course, and, and lost. Dave Ridgway kicked a 60-yard field goal which was then a league record. And that was the first event that uh, Warren Woods covered in Saskatchewan was the Riders-Bombers game, Labor Day weekend, 87. And later that night, he went on the air for uh, the the introductory global news with, uh, or pardon me, uh, STV news with uh, Jill Crop at the anchor desk. So, I mean, right from day one, working in the Saskatchewan media, Woodsy was was, – covering the Rough Riders. In, in recent years, he could be found at the Lancaster doing yeah. wandering woodsy on the, on the uh, CGME, CQM postgame show. And, uh, and what he wasn't, like you said, he wasn't any different off the air than he was on the air. Just a total natural, as genuine as it gets, a wonderful friend, a great man. And uh, I'm, 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 
I hate to end it on such a sad note, but there's so many reasons to think about Woodsy and smile. And yeah. uh, I'm sure many tributes will be paid to him at many sporting venues once we can actually gather at them and enjoy the uh, the competitions again. It's uh, it's been a been a sad few weeks, uh, a sad year primarily. Well, I look back on the happy points with Woodsy, and I guess I should mention Woodsy and I both grew up in Sudbury, but we never met each other. We both worked in Timmins at one time, never met each other, and we came all the way to Regina in 1986, and we finally met each other and became great friends. Two great old Sudburyans who've grown old and grayer. Oh, Woody never got gray. He never oh. dyed his hair. How's that on a happier note? He never dyed his hair, and it was dark, always dark. So he told me he never dyed it. I never doubted Well, I doubted him a lot. But he always had that dark, full head hair. Something that important or anything. He was all, as honest and genuine as, as one could be. And uh, it still hurts, and it's going to hurt for a while. Anyway, Rob, on a happy, I guess, happy, we'll be back uh, next week sometime. Happy yeah, a lot to toss around next week. So uh, I'm not sure what date we'll do this, but uh, events will dictate that. But we'll, we'll uh, hopefully have some better answers for you once. Uh, once the Rough Riders start uh, diving into the free agency pool. And uh, we look forward to, to chatting with uh, everyone once again at that time. So, Murr, thanks for your time today. Thank you, Rob. And thanks to Mark Melnichuk, who's ultimately producing this. So if you don't like this pod- podcast, blame Mark. Murray and I absolve ourselves of any criticism. Uh, thanks for your time today, and, uh, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Take care.